Welcome to Keeping Athena Company. My name is Athena Kablenu. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer and new mum. Being a parent is great, but I do crave adult conversation every now and again. To fix that, I invite one of my cool friends around to keep my company. This time, Sinta Tantra comes around to enjoy fried plantain, avocado and mango salsa in my mum's kitchen. We talk about how our backgrounds influence us as creatives, crazy rich Asians and how much of a genius film it is, food, uh, coconuts particularly, um, and how people who know nothing about modern art can get into it. Sinta is a ludicrously talented artist. She really knows her stuff and this is the perfect episode for people who love art or want to learn how to love it. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to ask you to enjoy it. So, welcome to my kitchen. Hi! Internationally renowned artist. <laughs> um, what else are you? I am um, I am an artist. I am, who am I? I'm, I, I'm a Barnet girl. You're a Barnet girl? What, is, what does being a Barnet girl mean? <laughs> well, we grew up in sort of the same sort of part of London. We did, yeah. So. We didn't grow up far from each other. We didn't know this at the time, though. <laughs> and, no, I think it's nice hanging out with you because... Yeah, um, we, we share a sort of background. Yeah, let's talk a bit more about that. Let's talk about how we met, actually. that's I made a note, I was like, we've got to talk about how we met, because yeah. we met whilst you were painting a bridge. Uh, we were. I think I remember first meeting you, and I thought you were a bit scary, because you had uh, <laughs> you, you had these headphones on, these big headphones, and you were... We had a you had a mini disc player. Oh wow! You're aging us, since <laughs> You're really aging us with this. With this yes, I do remember they, them. Yeah, they're so um, uh, yeah, so old now. But yeah, you had a mini disc and playing like I don't know, like maybe some loud hip hop music. Or something. Oh my god! And we were about to go to a meeting because we were going to have a meeting in a primary school. Right. Yes. And I met you in the waiting area, and I was like, "Who's this chick?" We had, like, rap music in a primary. <laughs> People are learning about my past life here. Like, oh. okay. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really pleased that I scared you. Um, and then, at what point did you stop being scared of me? Um, no, I'm still scared of you now. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So we, um, just for the listeners who don't know us, we met because I used to work for a council. Um, and I used to have to do really weird projects. And one of the weird projects I had to do was get a bridge painted. And since he's an artist, uh, and we crossed paths through a contact in the council who turned out to be a mutual friend stroke colleague. And that's how we met. And Cynthia painted this bridge for the council. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm highly confident Cynthia didn't know what she was doing either. <laughs> but we've got it painted in the end. And actually, if anyone in listening to this podcast is based in London, you can see it. It's in Chalk Farm. It's in Chalk Farm. It's yeah. in London. What's funny is it was my very first public art commission. <laughs> and I've done quite a few now. I think you. it was just quite unique how we ended up being friends after kind of a project like that and the funny thing is when you, I wasn't a comedian when you met me I was just a bog standard project manager working in local government yeah <laughs> so that's why you know me as some intimidating person with big old headphones <laughs> listening to hip hop since I met me in what I will call a phase of my life uh, named mm. my drinking days <laughs> so you've seen me go from a directionless kind of ruffian um, I, I think you're always I always thought you were quite interesting and funny and I think what I liked about you 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 were quite witty you sort of like assessed the situation you were quite Machiavellian <laughs> that's not a good thing <laughs> that's not thing. it's not a good thing <laughs> so I just remember I think you sort of saw the situation and saw like ways in which to just sort of like um, you 
you know, tick the boxes and do what you need to do. And that's quite that's quite good with people. Oh, yeah. I'm very in, I'm very into um, finding the path of least resistance yeah. to do things. So I prefer that to Machiavellian. But I think it takes a Machiavellian mind to think like. Anyway, this podcast isn't about me as much as I'd love it to be about me. It's about you. Um, I think the reason I asked you to this podcast is because, like, I know a lot of comedians, but you're not a comedian. You're an artist, and I didn't really know much about the world of art before I met you. Um, and then I realised art is great because you've got these things called First Thursdays. You, just, <laughs> you can rock up to art galleries. Years, yes. Yeah, tell everybody what happens at First Thursdays. Well, um, First Thursdays was a thing that happened quite a few years ago. It's slightly out of fashion now. Oh no! Sorry to tell this to you. It used to happen in a particular streets in London, which had lots of galleries, and uh, every First Thursday of the month. They would have, they would open and have drinks. Um, I think the reason why it's become slightly out of fashion is because I think all the galleries clocked onto the fact that people are just coming there to drink, <laughs> <laughs> and so they stopped doing Yay! first Thursdays. And um, well, they still have private views, but there's a bit of filtering system because you need to be on the mailing list and you have to perhaps engage with the art or at least pretend to look. Interesting. I engaged with the art. You were really yeah, I because I think I always liked art, but I never had an access route to actually enjoy like the art industry as it currently is. So I didn't know any artists. I didn't know you could go to galleries to look at art. I just always consume my art in museums. Yeah. So art for me was always historical and not necessarily modern. And when it was modern, it was just like when there's like a Turner Prize hmm. or something. And it became sort of like a pop celebrity, pop idol judging competition. Precisely, <laughs> yeah. And something that was quite hard to access, yes, but and yeah. also like theoretically like if you look at someone like Betty Emin like mm -hmm. it can be quite hard to understand why what she does is art yeah. if you haven't been consuming modern art for ages yeah, if you just absolutely. open a newspaper one yeah. day and just see a bed that's not unmade <laughs> you'll think and yeah yeah you'll think I didn't know my bedroom was worth millions I had no idea <laughs> yeah it's really the, the concept of contemporary art I think does need sort of help um, but I think the people that once you sort of start looking at things in a different way and questioning things in a different way and that's what these things make you do because they make you sort of look in the world in a different way and that can sort of infiltrate throughout your life um, whether it's a painting or Tracy Emmons unmade bed it could somehow influence your life and just the decisions that you make so for example it could be as small as like I remember uh, one of my students coming up to me in an adult education college saying oh you know I look at Christmas cards entirely a different way now <laughs> so maybe some people kind of some students um kind of just becoming much more involved in going to galleries because they've had someone explain to them and uh point out the things that you should look for and the things that you also it's kind of coaxing people how they feel about the work when they right. they stand in front of it because you don't have to like it yes that's huge because we're happy to watch a film and be like that film was trash or we're happy to read a book <laughs> and be like this film, book was the worst book ever and it is okay to look at art and say I don't understand it I don't like the palette it makes me feel itchy um because mm -hmm. some art does give you like a physical <laughs> reaction I think um sometimes that's kind of the best art when it does give you a physical reaction yeah because it doesn't make you know it's we are we are bodies and, yeah. and as bodies we respond to things and it kind of makes you think about the world in a different way especially now with all the technology and we sort of see everything through screens um and so i think being reconnected to the physical world and in, in some sort of way is good i want to talk about being a fine artist from barnet <laughs> <laughs> 
Barney via Barnett. Yeah, Barney via Barnett. At what point did you decide you wanted to be an artist? And did you find coming from Barnet being a particular barrier in terms of feeling integrated into the art world or maybe finding access points into it? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I, I always wanted to be kind of successful or do something yes. in my life. What art enabled me to do, it gave me a blank canvas. Um, I could have gone to music, for example, but the sort of music I was studying when I was a child and growing up was classical music. Right. So it was about <clears throat> playing music that other people had written. Whereas going into the art class, you had a blank canvas in front of you. I mean, you could possibly say that about English, but most of the time we're reading about other people's books. Yes. So I think art was the only subject which enabled me to kind of just really start thinking about what I wanted to say to the world. Right, and you obviously became a contemporary kind of abstract artist mm-hmm. as opposed to like one of those people in Leicester Square <laughs> that like draw <laughs> cartoon <laughs> versions. <laughs> so what, what drew you to the world of that kind of that expression? I think, um, I think figurative art, I think it could be seen as problematic because as soon as you put a figure onto a canvas, you have to decide what race it is, yeah. what gender it is, whether they're young or old. And so you have kind of a lot of questions like that in terms of a narrative. I think what I wanted to do was sort of get away from that narrative and wanted to be more physical with it because I use a lot of colour and shapes and it's sort of interesting how colour and shape is very... It's universal. I mean, everyone responds to colour. Yeah. Even if they're colourblind, <laughs> their perception of whatever, yeah. um, black and white, is, you know, they're still responding to it. And they respond differently. Like, yeah, they how, respond differently. Like, you're yeah. wearing Different something cultures. blue today. Yes. How do I know the way you see blue is the same way that I see blue? Well, there won't be, and that's the kind of wonderful thing about it. And that's the same with, like, philosophy, like, how you interpret questions yeah your, your questions or how you see something is entirely different from the person next door to you even though you might have lived exactly the same experiences you know your perceptions of things are totally different yeah I'm I've been thinking about your art career as it's grown since I met you and I found a parallel between your art career and my comedy career because when I first met you you were all like palm trees bright pink <laughs> really you're really Optimistic. keen yeah you're really keen to talk about your heritage as an Indonesian yeah. um, and that's very much how comedians act so I was obviously a black female comedian most of my jokes in 2012 2013 were basically framed around where I come from mm-hmm. and now my jokes have changed to access parts of my identity that aren't related to my gender and yeah. my race and I see that in your art too because your art used to be tropical right it used to be very pink and yeah kind of I think part of that was sort of crying out for attention yes that's exactly how comedy works too because you're often in a space where you're in a male dominated space and often you don't see many people who come from where you come from so you just kind of think look at me (laughs) you you know not that you want to be a spokesperson but it influences the way you do your art in a way that you've got to get out of your system I think I think if you're a minority or struggling against something or struggling to be heard I think one of the things that people do one of the strategies and particularly what I did and you did was probably to emphasise and to shout more about your identity because there wasn't anyone listening and I think kind of I remember during my student days at the Royal Academy um, I remember one of the tutors looking back at it now said to me oh um, because I painted this entire room bright pink (laughs) (laughs) and sort of it was quite uh, very decorative and um, you know, had lots of references to Bali and tropical and palm trees and sunsets and yeah. fun. Um, and it was very, there was like excess of it. And I think I just remember him saying, oh, it's it's a bit desperate, uh, isn't it? 
it's harsh, but actually, <laughs> you know, sometimes you think it, you you put yourself in a box without realizing yeah. it, and you have to put yourself out of the box. But it's hard. Well, I think I think part of it, looking back now, I could probably say that it's probably quite good to be to establish a box in itself. Yeah. Because without establishing that, then you're starting with nothing. Yes, and identity um, is important. Identity is important, and what's interesting, like I love the fact that more and more people are speaking about it. Yes. Especially like women. You walk past a public art a lot in life. Sometimes no. you notice it, sometimes you don't. You don't realise what goes in to making <laughs> it. I remember I remember delivering a pizza to you at like midnight. But for some reason, we, we decided on the design that to be projected onto the bridge. And then it's like, oh, you can only project stuff at night. And it was summer, and so it was like only for 9pm. <laughs> right. It's like got dark, yeah. Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> I think back to those days, and I'm pretty sure health and safety was a thing in those days. We're not that old. <laughs> but we just thought, oh, we'll get away with it. Also, the thing is, that's what you have to do, I think. You have to kind of sometimes break. I mean, that was a massive rule to break. I think I'm totally fine with breaking some small rules. Yeah. And that, get what I need but to get. <laughs> the real issue was the sort of, now we've got the Me Too movement, uh-huh. so we're kind of more aware about being safe from strange guys yeah. but I remember you getting harassed while she was <laughs> bridge and I was thinking to myself I don't know how to do this project I remember getting my bag nicked oh yeah your bag got nicked <laughs> then you got these students to help you then one of the students had a rucksack fall over onto the railway tracks oh beneath oh yeah I've never had Network World pick up the phone so quickly in their life I was like you need to put me to someone there's Did a bag you... on the track <laughs> actually know the number like yeah the so thing. i had a, a number for network rail and i called them yeah and normally it's like press one for this yeah. press two for that and when i finally got through to someone i was like bag on track yeah. need to speak to someone now <laughs> never got something so quickly in my entire life so that was interesting okay. and you had that guy because your surname's tantra yeah people associate it with sex for some reason yeah. you had that creepy guy come up to you and you <laughs> All of the yeah, I remember it. I remember it because I remember sweating every night thinking, I'm going to get someone killed. <laughs> graffiti isn't worth it. The prevention of graffiti is not worth what it's going to cost us. <laughs> hey, even my daughter's appalled with my project management. But that was basically, I would describe that as my first project. Really? Yeah, oh that, was, that was your first project, my first project. That was, mission. yeah. So that's. So that, we didn't know. What we were doing? We did really well, and it's, I haven't been there for ages. Uh, I wonder if it's, it's still, still there. It's, it's graffiti quite badly now. Oh, okay. I just think kind of maybe the council's obviously gone through lots of changes, and it's not of an importance anymore. Because I guess back then when I just graduated, it was new labour, and there's a lot of emphasis of arts and yes, and there were arts officers. Pretty much in every, well, in every borough yes. in London. But What do you think the impact is of just councils yeah. not prioritising art? Yeah, I think the bigger impact, but I think it's probably more the city as a whole, is how developers have really overtaken how the city looks and functions. So, developers are taking over public art? No, well, more the case that developers have more of a say in yeah. what goes on to the city. Right. Because um, they're building flats and properties, but that... Um, I guess some of the money that the council or whoever's making that could go back into the infrastructure yeah, or sort of um, make people move into the area which is good for all businesses So I forgot to tell you at the beginning you get a choice of having hot sauce or no sauce You've gone I, for some hot sauce. I've already opened it. I've already opened it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's pretty hot. That's the hot. That's as hot as it gets. I am Asian. 
All right, you are Asian. <laughs> You're the hottest kind so, of Asian. Tell me how your mum made this. Um, oh, how did she make it? She mm-hmm. boiled garlic and scotch bonnet peppers um, in like a bit of water. Um, and then when they were cooked through, um, she shredded them up um, and added the water. So and she the, cooked them whole? Yeah, cooked them whole, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when they were cooked through, she cut them up um, and then added them to a jar uh, and then topped up the jar with... Is that oil or vinegar? I can't remember what that one is. Mm. It, it tastes vinegary. Whoa, it's really spicy. It's really <laughs> spicy. It's People really get good. brave in my kitchen. Oh, it's good. I think where it's scotch bonnet is really spicy. Oh, no. Do you use some water? It's really good. Okay. Can't I like it. Yeah, I can make like a... Um, you can put like a Southeast Asian twist on it and put lemongrass. Lemongrass, yeah. And lime. Mm, did you watch Crazy Rich Asians? I did. Wasn't it brilliant? It was brilliant. Yeah, I love the end. I love the way the woman who the woman who had the man that cheated on her. Gem, gem, uh, Gemma Chan. Yeah, I love yeah, the way she dealt with that situation. Yeah. I was like, that is exactly how you deal with it. You get that guy out of your life. Because uh, like, most movies would have them like have her beg him to come back or mm-hmm. or have her fall apart. And she was like, actually, this guy's a burden. I'm <laughs> cutting him out of my life. He's, He's like a rucksack. Like an expense that <laughs> yeah. you don't need anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, it, like, like a cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can clean this myself. <laughs> um, no, it was a really great movie. And I think it was really fun because I saw it in Kuala Lumpur. I was in, had a show in Kuala Lumpur. And I saw it there and it just all made, because you know most of it's shot in Malaysia. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no. Really. Oh, it's shot in Malaysia. Sorry, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so most of it's actually shot in Malaysia. Wow, okay. Um, which is interesting because I think most people, in terms of like tourism, most uh, Brits would probably go to Thailand. Right, yeah. Bali, perhaps. <clears throat> Vietnam, for sure. Um, maybe Singapore. Um, Singapore, maybe for shopping, Hong Kong. But yeah, they don't know much about Malaysia, but it's yeah. a really beautiful country. And people get really like confused by the fact that an Indian can say, I'm Malaysian, and then a Chinese person. <laughs> Sound Malaysian, <laughs> yeah. and it blows people's minds because I get that as an Indian Caribbean person, okay. it blows people's minds. So it's even like more confusing for Malaysians, for or for British people because um, they don't know the history yeah. of like the sun didn't set on the empire, guys. They weren't <laughs> lying. It literally didn't set. It was everywhere. Oh, so weather food in Malaysia is amazing. Oh my gosh, yes. Because of the different sort of cultures. Yeah, it's um, true. Really, really good. So you get really good Indian, really good. Um, more Malaysian Nyonya cuisine they call it I um, I went to see Crazy Wits Asians when I was pregnant and mm-hmm. the food I, I loved the plot and I loved like the way the characters worked out um, and yeah I loved the film but mm. the food scenes my mm. gosh and this child while she was in me was jumping up and down <laughs> when she saw the food yeah scenes. I'm sure she could sense or she could she'd probably sense that I was salivating um, oh god the food scenes were amazing and I don't eat meat and I was like I'm going to eat those frog legs <laughs> or whatever they were or octopus or whatever they were serving I oh my southeast asians are like really really into food yeah so when my mother rings me up and says how are you rather than sort of say how are you she says what did you eat <laughs> like my mum cooks every day she's always like oh i'm gonna take this out the freezer i'm gonna cook this and i think i'm 37 years old <laughs> but it's like the main topic yeah. of the day <laughs> and then everything else sort of like food is totally important it's sort of wow we all kind of congregate meats any kind of business meeting would always be done with like food yeah um even like private views we like somewhere like in malaysia you would have alcohol served right you'd have tea and food so it's more cultural although yeah so for my opening i had the most amazing curry puffs. was this in bali <laughs> in kuala lumpur, oh, kuala lumpur. Yeah. okay you had the most amazing curry puffs oh curry puffs yeah <laughs> do you know what that sounds they sound delicious they yeah. sound delicious did you make them 
no, no, no. <laughs> the yeah. thing about Asia is like food so cheap and so good and really yummy and just feels like you know somebody's mother making yeah. the kitchen. Oh wow! So in in Creative Its Asians, the big communal activity was making dumplings. Yeah. So what's the equivalent for in Balinese culture? In Balinese culture, well, uh, when we have big fest- festivals and ceremonies, there's always satay. What's that? Um, it's barbecued meat. Right. Um, you probably have had it here, chicken satay. Oh, satay. Like sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, when you said the way you said it, it sounds like a different <laughs> really word, but you, yeah. said, you said it with the proper accent. Yeah. Not um, satay. <laughs> Um, and the satay you get here is quite, I don't know, they often use like chicken breast, don't they? Yeah. Use, but actually you sh- should be using other parts of the chicken, like oh, right. thighs and sort of all parts of the chicken. And it should be barbecued because normally it's like a, f- a fried or a stewed oh, kind no, of meat. Oh definitely should be barbecued. Yeah. Um, sometimes they mince it. You yeah. eat fish, right? I eat fish, okay, yeah. So in Bali we have this really beautiful fish uh, satay, but it's like minced fish Ooh, okay. with like chilies and spices and lemongrass, etc. Coconut. Oh my gosh! And then you put it around. Oh god, they might. It's a not a shish kebab, but like a you know like a minced kebab. Yeah. <laughs> Which you see is but like kofta. They call it kofta. Yeah, yeah. similar to kofta, but it's with minced fish and really delicious. And you always cook it with barbecue. Yeah. And you would barbecue it with um, husks of coconut. Oh my gosh. Um, but what's interesting when you asked me about sort of, you know, the dumpling making <laughs> is that um, bunnies or many other cultures as well, it's very segregated into the jobs of women and jobs of men. Yeah. So all the men would be doing quite a lot of the food. Yeah. They would be making uh, with their knives, they'll be making the satay sticks um, from bamboo. Yeah. They'd all get together, go around to each other's houses and make these satay sticks. And then they would... Uh, sorry for those that are vegetarian. <laughs> Slaughter the, the, the meat, yeah. the pig, the cow. Um, usually it's pig. Yeah. And, pull, um, and then they would cook it. Yeah. So that's all the men's duties. The women do all the decorative um, offerings you might, might have seen. Yeah. Um, of images of barley. So their flower offerings, basket, sort of mini basket weaving. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, just sort of like a lot of the preparation for all the rituals for praying in the temple and so the men do all the food and the women do all the sort of um things for the for inside the temple See, that's a slightly different division of labor so being someone of indian heritage it's like women in the kitchen like so our equivalent of dumpling making is probably making rotis because that's a real a real factory when you've got need to make a load of them all the women get in the kitchen and someone's doing the dough someone's rolling it out someone's got it on the cooker um cooking and then someone has to clap them um i won't describe what that is but basically once you finish making a row you've got to do a bit of clapping with it to make it fluffy and that's but that's the kind of that's what the women do but on a day-to-day level it would be women yeah but on the um, big celebrations, the men do the cooking. But it's a bit like here, right? When, like, it's always men by the barbecue. Yeah, that is it's true. Like fire yeah. Fire and like. <laughs> fire yeah. and like. It's a caveman thing, I think, men and barbecues. Yeah. Um, what other foods really remind you of, like, your heritage? And what, what would you remind you of your childhood? Um, coconut. Coconut. And what's big interesting flavor. is, like, I coconut's very fashionable now isn't it yeah and so i think where was i in waitrose or something or martin and spencers and they have coconut yeah but then it's got a kind of faux like a fake ring pull <laughs> oh my god babylon please stop this nonsense all right it's a coconut it's, it's nature's it's nature's vessel you don't need to add a ring pull to it oh my so days have a ring pull on top of this coconut and 
I think what's really interesting, I don't think people really know, people in this country don't really know what coconut looks like. It's actually green. Yeah, it's green and the, the brown husk is on yes. the inside, yeah. And so people, when they think of coconuts, they can think of coconut stalls and chives and they're brown. Um, and I don't know, because coconut water is very fashionable. I drink it sometimes, but it just doesn't taste like the real thing. It tastes really strange to me. Coconut so water re- from yeah. a coconut <laughs> is just, it's just like nature's Lucozode. Mm. It's delicious. It's so delicious. I think sometimes it depends if it's a young coconut or old coconut. Sometimes it has, I don't know if it's alcohol, but there's something in it that makes it kind of um, taste a bit yeah. alcoholic. And I, I, went um, to, I went to Ghana when I was 18 for the first time. So I experienced a lot of these things like as a quite an older person. So it was all quite like amazing to me and eye-opening. The soft, wet flesh of a coconut is like... It's just like nature's meat. <laughs> oh my! It's it just melts in your mouth, um, and it's really filling and delicious. I haven't tasted the one in Marks and Spencers, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that ring pull. <laughs> I'm not sure the ring pull doesn't really help. <laughs> no, I would say any fruit you find with a ring pull on it is not a natural piece of fruit <laughs> that's been altered. That's been genetically altered in in some I way. I wonder what the, like the marketing conversation was like, like when they were sort of brainstorming. Um, you, have, you have to think your consumers are idiots. <laughs> you have to. You have to think, you know what? These people drink cans of Coke. How do you get them drinking coconut water? Put a room pull on it. Yeah. You know, what, put, put a champagne cork in it. Yeah. You know, they're all alcoholics, but they'll drink this if, if, if you've got to use a corkscrew to get yeah. into it. That's ridiculous. Um, you said something really interesting earlier. You said it's almost like a, a privilege to kind of like get to go back to Bali and Indonesia and yeah, South Asia. Yeah. And I, I've always described my heritage as a privilege, in, not the kind of white privilege like it gets you more money uh-huh. um, and like keeps you safe on the streets at night but the kind of privilege that means you already have your eyes open to sort of the truth of the world so you know what a coconut tastes like or uh-huh. you know you know different foods already or like fusion cooking and fusion foods make uh-huh. the best meals and so coming from a diverse background means that's just natural to you uh, what am I trying to say? Yeah, um, I, I know what you're saying I think yeah but you only appreciate it when you're older right? Yes I think so um, yeah. so I did uh, an assembly last week at my old primary school yes. in London called Belaine and I remember, because I, I was actually born in America. Yes. So I came Like Boris Johnson. <clears throat> was he born in America? <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> sure. And Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could be president of America. <laughs> so I um, came to primary school with an American accent. Right. And my very first day of school, I just remember all the kids making fun of me because they, I don't know, they just thought I spoke Because you're in Barnet and like, <laughs> you're not from around there, are you? Yeah, I think they thought I was faking it. Right. No, people would because you think American accents are quite fashionable. Especially then yeah. in the 80s, like it was all about kind of Americana. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember everything American was kind of cool, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just remember kind of going in, crying, crying, crying. And I remember this dinner lady or teacher, might have been teacher, picking me up and holding me and sort of saying it's okay. But I think, and that really, I just, that kind of really, I think about that a lot because I think that, you know, when we're younger, we think our differences are sort of what are sort of the hurdles, yeah, and our barriers. Um, and I don't know what it is, but when you get older, you sort of try to, I guess, be at one with them, and then you turn it around to your advantage. Yeah, <clears throat> so that takes a while to do. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. it takes a lot of confidence and belief and trying and not trying. But I think what you said about kind of having the experience of difference in cultures. I might not have appreciated it then when I was young, but when you get older, I mean, I mean, I think that's also a reason why I like working in different countries and travelling because be behind all of that is kind of the art, the work, yeah. and 
even though we might have differences in how we communicate or how we do business, um, underneath that there is a shared language of visual visual stuff. Yeah, no, there is, and it's really interesting. <coughs> like we sh- we start off like being very overtly. Um, um, I'm really aware of our identity when we start doing art and then we kind of move away from that do you feel yourself going back to your roots now as an artist um, I feel I feel like it's always quite good to be on the edge yeah. of things whether it's um, I mean I call myself a painter but sometimes my work goes into three dimensional scales with um, straightforward objects and sculptures to installations on architectural buildings Yeah. Um, so this idea of being on the edge and edge of different cultures as well as edge of the themes that you're kind of exploring in your work I think is really important because it's that edge that kind of makes you different from the other person. So I'm a comedian. Yeah. Right? I'm, also, <laughs> yeah. I'm also ignorant. Let's, let's, let's pretend I'm, in, uh, I'm ignorant. Okay. okay, let's see. What do you recommend I do to start to explore the world of contemporary art? I would say start with what you know. Right. So say, okay, let's do this together. Okay. What do you know, Athena? Um, I know you. <laughs> okay, let's pretend I don't know you. I know all the famous people. So I know um, the guy who does pottery. Um, oh, great, Grace and Perry. Yes, I know yeah, Grace yeah. and Perry. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the famous toilet. The famous urinal in the taste. Yes, yeah. I know Duchamp's. Uh-huh. Uh, I know Picasso. Yeah. I know Dali. See, I know loads. Yeah. I know the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's start off with the pottery guy. Okay. Okay, he's a Londoner. Is he? Yeah. Is he from Barnet too? He is not from Barnet. He's okay. still from North London, though. Okay. Stowe. Big up, big up. Well, yeah, the Stowe. <laughs> he's 17. God, he's 17. And um, I would say, like, he's actually quite a good example to pick because there's actually lots of media about him and he, like, he does a lot of talks and lectures. Right. So he did quite a famous series on the Ruth Lectures in okay. BBC, uh, Radio 4. And he's really elo- very eloquent. Yes. How he sort of, like... so. I mean, even just Googling and listening to how artists talk right. will give you much more of an insight than, I don't know, reading a press release or reading an article. Sure. And, you, you know, like you mentioned Duchamp's Tate, uh, urinal. Yeah. That's, I think, somewhere... It's in the Tate, yeah, because I I mentioned it because I went to the Tate and I and I it's a very famous piece. I wasn't aware I wasn't aware it was in the Tate, and I was trying to explain to the person I was with this is a really famous piece of art, and he was like, "It's a toilet," and he moved on. I thought (laughs) he's got every right to say that. He's literally got every right to be like, "It's a toilet." That's the point of it. It's a loo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's I don't know how to describe it. I mean. I toilet. The champ would kind of just sort of say, "Yeah, you're yeah. right," <laughs> but at the same time, he's. It's it, also the toilet is upside down, right? Um. Oh, is it? Because yes. I've I'm not aware what your urinal's supposed to look okay. like. Well, urinal's like a particular way. Yeah. Purposes, <laughs> and um, he put it upside down. So the idea of something masculine yeah. and male and yeah. of the penis <laughs> turned upside down and looks more like a vagina. I never understood that. Okay. But, I yeah. mean, like, you see the piece, but, like, I think it's a case of not really just looking at it for 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, really looking at it. And to help you, sometimes there's podcasts or sometimes on YouTube there's kind of information or the artist talking. And yeah. All of that really, really helps. Or even just talking to, like, I don't know if you know an artist. You. Can you. An artist. Yeah. you. So I would say <laughs> to start from what you know and it doesn't necessarily have to be like you have to go to this exhibition or this museum 
I think um, start with what you're interested in yeah. and then explore that way. My, I'll tell you my take on that piece. So it's a urinal when it's plugged into a wall next to other urinals uh-huh. that are being used as one. Mm-hmm. Would you take it out and put it in a glass box and arrange it in a certain way and obviously give it a clean because yeah. no one wants to look at it. <laughs> it does become art, actually, Absolutely, because yeah. if you if you just see things as for or mm-hmm. their practical use, um, you take away a lot of... Like someone spent a long time designing the urinal. You know, someone spent a long time designing it, making it, getting it on a production line. Mm. Um, and when you just start using things practically, you almost erase everything that's gone into make it come into existence. Mm-hmm. And that's what I look at. So when people take a practical item and say this is art, I'm like, actually, it's kind of... Let's say the world ended tomorrow and it was just me and you left and we're like, God, we've got to make you rhino. How do you make one? Who you won't need? Who you won't need one? In anticipation of... um of, a tree. Yeah, there might be a guy that survived the meteorite. <laughs> like, how do you make one? I always think that, like, if I was the last person on Earth, the Earth would be screwed. I can't make anything. I can make roti. It's about it. But maybe that's fine because with a population of, like, say, I don't know... Hundreds, you won't need kind of urinals. Yeah, that's true. That was a bad analogy. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I need you to discuss art with. So basically, if anyone wants to get into art, it's basically think of the think of what you know and then research them and then listen to how they talk about their work. Um, and then once you've done that, venture out and have a look at it. And with that information and that knowledge in your brain, use that to process it as well as your visceral reaction to what you're looking at. Yeah, that's a very good way of saying it. Is it? Yeah, oh. I think a lot of public, I think a lot of um, exhibitions and museums have a lot of public art programs now. So like, there's often workshops, like you've got children. Yeah. There's often workshops for children. Oh yeah. Toddlers, you could bring, you can bring um, maybe to the, um, <laughs> to um, to the museum. There's. Uh, I think babies love museums. And babies do. And I like museums because they're very accessible. Yeah. So you can take your buggy. But there's there's places. No, anyone who's got a family who's listening, you want something to do for the day, go to a gallery or museum because they're really accessible. They're full of other babies, Uh So which um, I know my baby likes because she either makes friends or enemies. But both those (laughs) things are quite distracting. So as long as as uh, the, the child's distracted, that's good. And at the same time, it's quite an adult thing to do. So you get a bit of your sanity back. Oh god, that must yeah be yeah. It's it. great because so you're out with you're out with baby, but you're you sure baby shark. Can you take? Um, there's only, actually <laughs> I'm, I'm still not over baby shark. I love it. <laughs> Whatever, it's crack for the ears. I really like baby shark. Uh, so museums and galleries are good. So before we end, what's the one thing you would like listeners who have <clears throat> never really enjoyed or understood contemporary art to do after listening to thing. this? Like, don't expect it to do anything. Right. Um, you have to be the active person. Oh, so I like it. So rather than like the object doing something to you or doing something functional, like are you right or <laughs> you know what you know what can you bring right. as a viewer? Okay, and that puts you on the spot. So right? the viewer completes the art. The viewer is almost kind of without the viewer, there wouldn't be the art. I'm going to end that there. That's a beautiful way to end the podcast. I've been listening to this. I'm so intrigued by you. Where can I find you? How can I find more about your work? Uh, so I have a website, sinsantra.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, yeah, I've got a got a few more upcoming projects uh, in Berlin and South Korea. Oh, that's fantastic. Sinta, you're genuinely one of the most talented people I know. Oh, you are. I'm fascinated by your work. Thank you for coming around. I hope you enjoyed your plantain and mango and avocado and your hot sauce. Thank you for coming around to keep my company. Thank you.
So that was keeping Athena company. I can't believe she was afraid of me when she first met me, but notice how I was wearing big headphones back in 2006. I am way ahead of my time. That was keeping Athena company. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.